Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and uh, open up to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1, and uh, make sure that you've got a copy of God's Word, whether you're in this room or online or listening some other form. And uh, we're going to get the screen switched over here in just a minute for the slides. And um, if you don't have a Bible... Uh, Grab one of the Pew Bibles in front of you. It should be page 1199 in uh, the Pew Bible. And uh, we're on our second week of uh, this series we're calling Tolerable Sins. And if you're joining us for the first time, uh, that title is meant to uh, cause you to step back a minute and go, Whoa, 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 what? There's not such a thing as a tolerable sin according to God's Word, is there? And yet, that is how we often live. And so we're taking the next few weeks to talk about that and highlight some of those that we are prone to just become okay with and lose sight of the holiness of God. Now, as uh, I was kind of debriefing with staff this last week, uh, Brandon and I were talking and uh, he brought up a great point uh, that I want to try to employ the next, uh, throughout this series and potentially even employ it just kind of as a permanent piece of what we do here. And there's aspects of when we gather in a setting like this that we lose elements uh, that are really crucial and important to our walk in our life as followers of Jesus. And one of those is scripture memorization. And uh, some of you may have experienced a challenge to memorize scripture as a child. Uh, maybe you grew up in a children's program that encouraged that. Or uh, those of you who, like myself, grew up going to faith Bible camp as a child, uh, you were challenged that week to memorize a whole plethora of verses. Um, but we often grow to be adults and just kind of let that go. And that shouldn't be okay. We should want to engage with Scripture at a level that we are preparing ourselves for battle. And a piece of that is internalizing the very truth that gives us exactly the guidance we need, exactly what God's will is, so that by the Spirit of God, those things will come to mind. There's some of you here or listening to this that you just have memorized Scripture faithfully. And you could give testimonies for hours of how God has used that in your life. And so uh, from last week and kind of a theme verse for this series uh, is Psalm 11911. And I want I want us let's just say this together. OK, let's let's speak this out, the truth of God's word together. And then I want to challenge you to memorize this. And guys, it's one verse. 
So I don't even want to hear complaints about, oh, I just can't memorize. No. Um, you could do this. In fact, uh, to make it a little even more challenging for you, uh, my four-year-old can memorize one verse, verses of Scripture. Okay? So, if you are older than four years old, you can do this. Alright? Um, so, let's, let's say this together, okay? I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Ooh, good job. See, we do this in our home too. You gotta say where it's from, okay? Psalm 119, verse 11. Uh, what an amazing truth, right? When we think about sin that we become prone to tolerate, that we become prone to just allow to exist in our lives, what better truth than Psalm 119, verse 11 that says, God, I'm hiding your word in my heart. So that I might not sin against you. Very clear. How do we battle the temptation to walk in sin? We internalize the very truth that contrasts my flesh. Okay? And this week, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, this is your challenge. You've got two this week because this was after the fact. And, uh, in thinking about this. So let's read this one together, okay? Here we go. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James 1, 19 through 20. Now you read this verse and you should already know what we're going to talk about today. Here's the reality. As we look around and consider sins that we're prone to tolerate, there is one that comes to the surface more and more that we tend to look past. Anger. It does not take long to see through social media, political circles, current issues, or most of you don't even have to leave your own home to see That there is a sense where we become angry and wrathful towards others. The more discouraging thing is that many of us see no issue with it. And in fact, maybe it's even become a part of who we are. To the point that I've heard people embrace, I'm just an angry person. Really? Now... Uh, how many of you have heard the phrase, uh, losing your temper? You heard that? I'm pretty sure everyone has heard that. It's some scope sequence. You know what's really interesting about that? When I was thinking about that word, I was thinking about, uh, there's another word for, uh, tempering that has to do with the process of hardening metal. When we temper metal, literally it's heating it up to a point at which it won't melt. But when heated up to that point and then cooled down, it actually strengthens the metal itself. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking through what image could we give in the scope of how we deal with 
this sin of anger and what we're going to see in God's word today. What image clarifies what should be versus what shouldn't be? And I believe it does a good job. You see, Scripture faithfully even calls us to rejoice when we face trial. That's in James as well. Because the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance or steadfastness. Literally, that it's when you are put through the fire that the Lord uses those things to strengthen you and to draw you closer to Himself. To make in you who you should be rather than what you currently are. Now the problem becomes when in that process, similar to tempering of metal, we lose our temper. And in that moment, the best depiction is when metal reaches that point past tempering and it melts into a molten pile that destroys everything around it and is of no value anymore. So as we think about this very thing, and as we wrestle with this, I want you to take away, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to get this. In a world of brokenness and sin, imitate the righteousness of God. In a world of brokenness and sin, imitate the righteousness of God. Let's read that again in James 1. I'm just going to read. I want you to follow along. James writing here to the church. And we know that based in the fact that in James 1 verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when we meet trials of various kinds. And he goes on in verse 19, he says this, which is your challenge to memorize But I'm going to read through verse 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Father, as we step into this today, may you open our eyes. Don't let us simply be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but that we would be doers of it. Reveal to us the areas we are prone to become angry and vengeful. Areas of our past or our present. And God, help us to establish grounded truths in your word for the future temptations we will have to react in anger. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the first observations that becomes clear in this text in James 1 is that anger does not produce righteousness. Literally, the words there are, man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, the anger that we see is the anger of our flesh. The flesh is in direct opposition to the Spirit of God. 
And if you want a really good study on the battle that's waging between the spirit of God and the spirit of our flesh, read the book of Galatians, where there's this tension and this war that's going on where the people have to recognize, we have to recognize that if you have made a decision to follow after Jesus, you have made a decision to begin a war in yourself. And that war is between what God has called you to in his spirit and what your flesh is rooted in by nature. And so I often tell people, if you have a tension in you and you have this pull and tug and you're like, oh, I'm frustrated because I'm acting in my flesh and I'm doing what I know I shouldn't do. And if there's that tension, praise God for that tension. Because that tension does not exist for the person who is separated from God. For the person who is separated from God, there is no reason to fight for anything more than who you are. And in fact, that is the very truth that our world would want you to believe. That the best you is within you. You just have to be you. And yet, as you will hear me say over and over again, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, No, you must be born again. That is, who you are in and of yourself is sinful and completely separated from God. But God has made a way in Jesus that you can have life and life eternal through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and anticipation of a day when he will return and free us from the bondage of this tension that exists. Here's the hard truth when we think about anger does not produce the righteousness of God. I cannot live in fleshly anger and at the same time model Jesus. I cannot live in fleshly anger and at the same time model Christ. Now the reality is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 commands us that we should fix our eyes on Jesus. In fact, it goes even further and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This idea of laying aside is correlated even once more in verse 21 of James 1. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I cannot live in fleshly anger and model Jesus at the same time. I cannot do it. They do not intersect. Now, there is a difference here. Last week, we talked about the importance of understanding holiness. And to refresh you a little bit and to catch some of you up, we look at these passages in Scripture and the call on our lives as followers of Jesus to pursue holiness, to actually pursue living a life that would be holy, that is set apart for the purposes of God. Now, it's important that in, as we think about that, that we understand the difference between righteousness and holiness. 
Holiness specifically is the state of being holy. Whereas righteousness is the quality of being morally right or justifiable. Now, when you stop and make that a little clearer, here's the reality that we have to sit with. Righteousness is something that has already been tainted in us by our sin. And because of our unrighteousness, you and I by nature are not holy. But the amazing hope and truth of the gospel, the good news, is that in Christ we are made holy. But that does not mean, there is a, there's a connotation in scripture that this is an already done and yet not yet accomplished work. What do I mean by that? I mean that in Christ there is security of your salvation, a hope that's rooted in Jesus' name that cannot be taken away from you. But there is also a responsibility on us as the church to, for as many days as God gives us breath, to pursue holiness. And we call that process sanctification. Sanctification is the journey that we walk on together to become more like Jesus. But there's a contrast in an understanding that we cannot achieve righteousness on our own. And you might go, what in the world, Matt? Here you say that we should be striving for holiness and pursuing righteousness. And now you're going to tell us we can't do it on our own. You're exactly right. It leaves you in a quandary where you must depend on something more than yourself. Here's the truth of Scripture and why I say you cannot achieve righteousness on your own. Romans 3 says, none. Everyone say none. None is righteous. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not righteous. Romans 3, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We should read a passage like that and be deeply humbled because we understand that Paul was writing the letter to the Roman church. This exists in the church family. We are not exempt from this. And then there's this hope in 2 Corinthians 5, the hope of the gospel for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. You see, there's this balance where we cannot achieve righteousness on our own, but God has made a way. And we are called to step into this with an understanding that Christ in Christ, I have the ability to become the righteousness of God, which comes to that main thought and idea in a world of brokenness and sin. Imitate church family, imitate the righteousness of God. If I remain rooted in my anger for whatever reason, I cannot imitate 
the righteousness of God. Man's anger does not produce the right. It does not. It's not even a little bit. It does not produce the righteousness of God. And we think about the righteousness of God. We think about the holiness of God. Some of you will remember this from last week. And uh, this illustration, we think about what is sin. And I just want to keep coming back to this because this visual is what's going to stick with you. And sin is when we miss the mark, when we miss the bullseye. And for those of you who are here, here's your pop quiz. What is the bullseye? God's holiness, right? The holiness of God is the focal bullseye point. And we become content. I was talking with a brother and sister in Christ and we were talking about this further. We become content with being somewhere close to the bullseye and we go, I'm okay with that. I'm content because you know what? I see these other people and man, I tell you what, they're way outside the bullseye. And we base, we start basing our own place, our own holiness off of where we think someone else might be. And yet scripture says, no, there's one marker. There's one standard and it's been shown to us in Christ. The holiness of God. And when we step back and we see that, all of a sudden every one of us goes, whoa. None of us are there. Exactly. None of us are yet there. I'm not there, you're not there, we are not there, church. Therefore, we need each other and we need accountability in God's word. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The truth of God's word. We need that. If we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, then that includes this call to pursue holiness and to seek to imitate the righteousness of God. Not because it earns us anything, but simply out of obedience to the one who gave all that we might become the righteousness of God. If I allow myself to tolerate sinful anger, I cannot live the righteous life God desires me to live. Here's the thing. I've had this question before and some of you are thinking it. Because all I've said is you cannot walk and live in anger and be righteous. You can't do it. And someone will say, and I know someone's thinking it most likely, Pastor Matt. Scripture says I can be angry. Jesus was angry. My anger is justified. I want you to think about this. Okay. Righteous anger is defined by God, not man. And I want you to put a finger in James one and turn to Ephesians chapter four. Because when someone comes to me with a question like that, the first thing I say is that's a great question. Thank you for asking it. And then I say, let's go to the Bible, because my opinion doesn't matter. God's word matters. Ephesians four. And if you're in a pew Bible, it's page 1161. Okay, page 1161. And we're going to look at verses 25 through 27. To see where exactly scripture says this. 
that I can be angry. Starting in verse 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, okay, we need to pause there a second. There's step one. For those of you who might say, well, I can be angry and not sin. Well, okay, let's start with putting away falsehood. Therefore, having put away falsehood, this assumes this has already been done. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, in the youth ministry I oversaw in Oregon before we moved back here um, and in our own home, we have this thing called the Ephesians 4 rule. And the Ephesians 4 rule is let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building others up. And so if someone's talking in a way that is not okay, that's all we have to say. Ephesians 4 rule. And we know, corrupting talk is coming out of my mouth. Now, I don't know about you, but the times we are most prone to allow corrupting talk to come out of our mouths is when we are angry. And we just let it fly. And some of you may go, oh, I have a pretty good, I do a pretty good job about that. Yeah, tell me that when this person cuts you off from pulling out of the church parking lot today. Let's see how good you do. Here's the reality. The call here is to be angry and not sin. And so I ask the question, do you think that we are able to, in our own fleshly anger, not sin? Obviously, there's a call here that it should be possible in the same way that we pursue holiness. We should be able to be angry with a righteous anger and not walk in sin because of my anger. Here's the kicker. Righteous anger is defined by God, not by us. So chances are, if you're in a state of justifying your own anger, it's probably not righteous anger. So I thought about this and I went, what would be a checklist for me to ask and kind of see? Is my anger righteous anger or is it just me being fleshly angry? Okay, so first checkpoint. When we think about righteous anger and God defining that according to his word, we should ask the question, am I angry at the things God is angry at? And it was it was really funny yesterday. I was sharing this with my wife about the challenge of this. And it wasn't two minutes later that my kids did something really annoying. I don't even remember what it was. And instantly, I just felt like my blood boil a little bit. And then I had to eat. I had, I had just had to sit because I just literally was talking about this and going, am I angry at the things God is angry about? And I turned to my wife and I said, I'm pretty sure that God is not angry about my child making annoying noises. <laughs> right? 
And it's those little things, isn't it? I'm pretty sure God is not angry at the fact that my child has made a mess of the house. I'm pretty sure that God is not angry about something financially getting messed up with my bank account. Pretty sure God is not angry about you having to wait in line at the supermarket. I'm pretty sure God is not angry about you having to get stuck in traffic on your way home or your way to work. The first question we should ask in the midst of this is, am I angry at the things God is angry at? And you might go, what is that? The number one answer to that is sin. God is angry with that which misses the mark of His holiness. That which profanes the name of the Most High God. Am I angry with those things? The second question we should ask ourselves in this anger checklist is probably the most difficult. Do I desire mercy and salvation for the one I am angry with? As I say that, I recognize this is extremely countercultural. And as I say that, I recognize that some of you listening to this have experienced horrible atrocities at the hand of others. And in no way am I saying that somehow asking this question means that we forget wrongs that have been committed. But what I am saying is we have got to ask the question, what is the heart of God? And first Peter says that God is not slow as some count slowness, but he is patient, desiring that all would reach repentance. All. Everyone say all. I want you to think about that. It was Jesus who taught that you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This goes against the grain of everything that we would want in our fleshly selves. Because I deserve justice. I deserve ramification on this person's life. I deserve punishment the way I want to see punishment done. I'm angry with the way they've treated me. And this needs to happen now. And can I just say that God is a God of justice? He's a God who knows. And He's promised to bring everything into account. One of the best illustrations that I've heard on anger was anger is like someone grabbing a hot coal and seeking to throw it at someone and you end up being the one who gets burned. That's what anger does. And when we're thinking about those situations where we've been wronged, where someone has done something that's made me angry, we should think about this in Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, get this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But too often we allow our anger to give way to hate. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 
But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. The final thing is really application where we have to ask the question, how do I begin to deal with my anger? What do I do? How do I process this? And I want to go back to James chapter 1 to close our time. Because in the beginning portion, in verse 19... I believe that God's word gives us the beginning steps that we have to take in order to keep from our anger getting the best of us. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is much easier to quote than it is to practice, family. This is much easier to memorize than it is to live out. And so I want to recommend to you several practical ways. And you could take a picture of this slide. You can write it down. Um, This is something we need to work on. And I don't care where you're at. You could be on social media. James 1 still applies. And we have for too long been okay with people sitting behind a screen and convincing themselves they don't have to face up for their wrong, anger-filled, hate-filled responses to other people. It is unacceptable. And you can expect, church family, just saying, if I find one of you guys doing that, I'm probably going to pull you aside and talk to you about it. Because that is unacceptable for a follower of Jesus to act in such a way. Man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Listen to hear, not to respond. If there's one thing in most relational conflicts that I will tell someone, it's this. You and I are most prone to listen in order to respond to someone, not listen to hear them. There's a big difference. Listening to respond means that I'm already formulating my argument before the conversation's even done. Stop it. Seek to understand the other person's perspective and point of view. Even if you still think they're wrong. It doesn't matter. I don't care how logically you think. Be quiet and listen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. That will keep you out of a lot of trouble. The second thing is give space before you respond. Many times, because we're listening to respond, then as soon as we get in a window, we respond. And that's how we end up fighting with each other. And we end up angry. And ultimately we end up angry because, well, you're just not hearing me. You're just not hearing me. You're not understanding me. Neither of you are. Neither of you are, because you're not trying to. So listen to hear, then set a timer for five minutes, and sit quietly and think about it. Don't pull your phone out, don't turn the TV on, none of that. 
You sit and you think about what you just heard. And then maybe respond. The third one of these is one of my favorites. Take a breath or five. Parents, teach your children to do this. I was so thankful for having equipped, and my wife is so gifted at this, because she is one that just embraces trying to understand what our kids are feeling, rather than reacting to how they're behaving. So if we have a kid who's irate or throwing a fit, the first thing she asks is, what, what are you feeling right now? Are you angry? Are you sad? Because once we figure out how they're feeling, now we can intersect with that. She has such a gift in that. I have to work harder at that. Because my response is, I don't understand why you're throwing a fit. I don't get it. Praise God for my wife. She lovingly shepherds me in that way. But one of the amazing things, the reason I was calling this to account, is my son recently, you might have seen him walking around with a head wound. He recently fell and split his head open. And that that was the night before Easter Sunday. It was a good night. And... uh Five stitches. Anyway, as he's laying in the ER and they're doing the stitches. Most kids at four years old are going to be screaming their head off. And I just kept telling him, Braden, just rem- you need to remember to breathe. And this four-year-old little boy is sitting there and he's going. And the nurses are standing around going, what in the world? This kid breathes better than most adults do when the same thing's happening. And that is simply because the way we seek to deal with anger in our home is to stop and let's take a breath. Because when we're in a state of risen emotion, we're not going to respond well. Let's take a breath. And there's scripture, Psalm 46, it says what? Be still. Be still and know that I am God. There is wisdom in stopping and being still. And the last thing is true in 1 John 1, 9, from last week we remember, confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose the battle with anger. But rather than tolerating it, church family, let's pause, let's recognize the error in our ways, let's confess our wrongs to the one we have wronged, and let's strive together for righteousness, for the holiness of God. Amen? And I leave you with this main idea. In a world of brokenness and sin, imitate the righteousness of God. Your anger does not ever achieve the righteousness of God. Let's battle that foothold we give the enemy and let's battle it together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to close with with a song. Father, you are gracious and holy and we are not. We are separated from you apart from Christ. We have no hope. Lord, today I pray that you would help us to respond to this in humility, that with meekness we would receive the implanted word of God. Father, help us to work on these things starting today in our own homes with the people we interact with, that we would be a people of grace and compassion, 
we would be those who love as Jesus loved, that we would speak the truth with grace. We would do so boldly, but we would do so gently. God, open our eyes to see how we have allowed anger to take root in our own lives and prevent us from pursuing the righteousness of God. Lord, most of all, may we keep one another accountable to this, that together we would pursue holiness, that we would pursue these things that you have called us to in your word faithfully each and every day that you give us breath. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.